Welcome to Mindlocks. I am Rabbi Jeremy Marquise. I am Adir Yolkut. I am Josh Buchan. And uh, we're super excited to be back for our third episode of Mindlocks. We want to thank all the people who gave us feedback. We really do uh, listen to it. We take it seriously. Thanks, Mom. I want to talk about this week about prayer spaces and particularly the like strange tension between creating spaces for normal people. Part of that is synagogues. I can't speak for other religions, but synagogues have prayer spaces that are primarily filled, at least uh, in the conservative movement, with people who are praying because they are fulfilling a requirement to do Kaddish, you know, a prayer that for people who are mourning or a yard site, an annual remembrance. But prayer, normal prayer experiences for regular people seem to be uh, lacking. Part of that is on the institution side where spaces aren't being created. And part of that is on the people side where we either don't have a developed experience or a developed sense of what prayer spirit spaces we need or our own beliefs preclude prayer experiences. I think there are a lot of possible solutions to that. I, I think that's worthy of, of, of exploration. Can you say whether your claim about this or your observation is anecdotal that you've heard from other people or is it stuff that you've observed? So I think it's a both and. Most things I think in life are both ands, at least to me. Part of it is observed when I go to other synagogues of, you know, I went to a, an Orthodox synagogue for a minion this, this past Shabbat, and it was a packed house. Now, it wasn't a daily minion, fair enough, but even still, uh, there were people of every generation, young people, old people, it was packed. When I go, have gone to conservative synagogues, that is less the case. Now, I don't want to generalize. It's not every conservative synagogue by any stretch of the imagination. But I think in particular, daily minyanim, uh, daily services are not treated the way that they need to be treated in the sense that either they're boring and people don't want to come or they are uh, unwelcoming and... I think that part of it is people are uncomfortable in prayer spaces, and that's on the institution side. And part of it is that people are uncomfortable because they don't know what it means to have a prayer life. I was at a uh, Q&A recently. One of the people who were asking questions, they were talking about how they are an atheist, but they like being part of the Jewish community and being doing Jewish things and, and going to prayer, going to services, they, as an atheist, have a prayer life. They have to, they have to navigate what that looks like, but they have a prayer life. And so they end up at services. The question is whether or not they're being met halfway. And so I, I feel like there are a lot of possible solutions. And I think there are places doing really creative things. And I think that we should think about what what are those ideas and how how could we be applying them whether or not we are part of an institution or whether or not we are an individual who wants to be praying more i think that there's a lot going on here you know one of the things which you mentioned to with is the issue of prayer in general and i think that that's a big question not just for atheists but really for everyone i think that we all have questions about what prayer means about the efficacy of prayer of what we're supposed to be doing, even if we know the choreography of what happens at the synagogue, and even if we know the the liturgy intimately, even if we're familiar with the Sidor, with the prayer book, we still might have questions about what we're actually doing 
and if this is really the best use of our time and if this is one of the best ways to make meaning. So I feel like the institution of synagogues, they can only do so much to meet this issue when all of these bigger underlying questions, theological, practical, exist with prayer. And I think part of the problem might be Minyanim and might be synagogues, but I think part of the problem might just be we haven't fully fleshed out or explained to people what prayer is and how people are supposed to tap into and connect to prayer. Uh, Jeremy, I was thinking of when you were talking that, you know, I found it interesting of the example that you gave that you were at the Orthodox synagogue where it felt as if the room was very full and, and, and robust or whatever, however you would describe it. Um, and I wonder if the difference is that the metric, not the metric, but, but the kind of impetus that people are in the room is different depending on the kind of religious persuasion you're talking about. Because I imagine if you took a, a kind of poll of that room that you went to, most people wouldn't even think of the metric of I am coming to the service because I enjoy the davening or because it's pleasing in some way. They would say I have some sort of religious obligation. I'm checking this box. That's why I'm here. If the davening happens to be nice, then that's a bonus. But if you pulled a, a room of, you know, um, let's use the example of a conservative synagogue, I think most people would not speak to that sort of obligation. And so the metric by which they're measuring is, is this an enjoyable, oh, is it orally pleasing? Is uh, kind of the logistics of the room uh, helpful for me? And I think that's going to result in why you probably don't have as much of a, as much as a filled room. We should work under the presumption that Jews in the communities that we're working in are not those that feel that obligation. And I don't want to necessarily make a, uh, a statement about what other person, other people's theologies should be. But if we work under that assumption, that means we do have to make services. And I won't even exclude Shabbat services being their own animal, right? We have to make services easy for them or easy for those people to engage with because they are musical, even though it's a Tuesday and it's spiritually meaningful, even though it's a Thursday afternoon, or that there's a meditation attached, which is something I think more synagogues could engage with. I guess it depends on the community. Uh, I think there are a lot of ideas that people could be applying, but because of momentum or inertia or be not being able to see the fact that there are populations that don't come to services for various reasons, right? That the, the populations that do attend are uh, very narrow and very few and feel very strongly. And so it's like, how do we meet both of those populations? You know, I think um, that there are a lot of different needs that we need to meet in synagogues. And I was just thinking about my own recent experience trying to go to Minion on a daily basis and not being able to for a variety of reasons. But you know, the, the short version is that my dad died about six months ago. And one of the ways that we mark in many Jewish communities that we mark uh, the period of mourning following a loss is by going to synagogue to say Kaddish on a daily basis. And I found the process really hard, not just because of logistics, not just because practically I have to show up, but every minion I walked into didn't feel right. You know, you mentioned that we need to be more welcoming. I mean, some of them were not welcoming enough. Some of them felt too welcoming some of them, it just felt uninspired. Some of them, there was an age barrier. You know, I felt like I was the, the youngest person in certain communities by 40 years. In other communities, I was the only person putting on to fill in. And, and none of these things sort of, all of these things combined, I guess, made the experience very, very challenging to connect with. You're probably more sensitive to it as a regular minion goer in lots of places, and you're in New York and what have you. 
But what what are what are some things that you would have liked to have seen? Things that other people could emulate that would have made this experience more meaningful to you as a young person who who is saying Kaddish or as a regular minion goer? Uh, what would you what would you like to have seen? I mean, I think it's a combination of things. On one hand, I, I would like to have seen more kavanah, more sort of intention, more singing, more spirit, let's just say, and also a recognition that this is, you know, at morning many at least, it's early in the day and people are tired and I'm tired and people want to get on with their day and go to work and get on with their lives. So having a service that's too drawn out, that's too prolonged, even in some spaces that feels too welcoming wasn't working for me. So I think there needs to be more of a recognition of people's of people's of, of sort of the, the window that we have when people walk into a synagogue. You know, people who come to a synagogue for a minion or on Shabbat are choosing to come, they're overdoing something else. And it's not like they're necessarily just choosing to be there as opposed to sleeping in. Like there's lots of other good, meaningful things that people could do in a morning. You know, you could exercise, you could go for a run, you could sleep in, you could have breakfast, you could read the paper, whatever. And all of those things can be really deep spiritual experiences. And I think that there needs to be more intention and more mindfulness about how precious people's time is and not waste it, not waste it with filler, not waste it with things which don't work, not waste it with small talk or sort of, you know, opening questions was something I saw at a number of places. And the prayers that we are doing, I, I really want to see more intentionality with, with those prayers, more spirit, more feeling, whether it's singing or, or meditation, you know, whatever, but like more intentionality with what that looks like. For the person that is going to the gym or for a run, what would you say to them to encourage them to go to minion right assuming that there are things on the institution side that can be fixed what about the people who are choosing another way of starting or ending their day right the 7 p.m min, you know mariv minion evening minion i'm more and more interested in, in alternative forms of expressing jewish identity and i think maybe the biggest critique that i have with synagogue life in general and certainly see this in minion name and in prayers is that it's really only one form of being Jewish. And there have always been other ways of being Jewish that exist outside of, 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 of what the Sidor is. And I think that the Sidor is an amazing document, which is sort of a distillation of thousands of years of Jewish and rabbinic thoughts. But I wouldn't say anything to those people who aren't coming to Minyan. And I would try to find other ways for them to connect Jewishly. You seem annoyed by that answer. I think it is... Uh, yeah, I disagree with, with most of what you said. Uh, I think that there are certainly places for alternative expressions of Judaism. I think that prayer is not the only one, but it is a pretty central one. It's probably the most regular thing that any uh, traditional description of Judaism would include. Um, meaning to say that if the tradition is encouraging us to pray three times a day, there has to be a reason why. And so if we assume that we can make the experience positive on the institutional side, right? We do part of the puzzle. We also want to say to people, yeah, there is a reason you are going to benefit from it. I think not everyone is going to get met by every single thing, but there there has to be a good reason. And I think that saying you would never encourage people to come is, I, I don't even think you really believe that. No, it's funny. I, for once in my life, I'm actually not being a dafkanek. I'm not being an awful It's Like I sincerely meant what I said, that that more and more I'm seeing the value in, in Judaism as a cultural identity and not just as a religious expression. Uh, Jeremy, 
I wonder if the question you're posing is is, is one of framing. Because in the way Josh spoke about it, it, it reminds me of kind of this Goldilocks effect that if Minion isn't meeting all of these various needs and it's not just right, then I can opt out or I can, you know, complain about it a lot and say what it what it doesn't do. Um, but if we understand Minion in in the sense that it is a communic communicentric uh, project as opposed to a kind of um, autonomous project, this kind of Western mentality that I want to do something because it's good for me as opposed to I want to do something because it's meaningful for my community and I'm helping part of a larger circle, then maybe that that framing allows it to be a, a more well-attended uh, product. I think you're 100% right. We should see Minion as both as a community experience, a communal, I don't want to even say obligation, but something that as a community that we do, I think there can be individual benefits. And I think that they can be improved, but I think the argument for the regular person, as it were, isn't made. There's a good reason to come because someone else needs to say Kaddish. That's what often I hear. But when we were in rabbinical school and you guys were both better attendees of Minion than I am, uh, was and now, right, that there was a benefit in being there that was beyond just because someone else needed to say Kaddish or because there's, right, that there there is something for the uh, post-grad who doesn't have a family to go to services or, or to have a, a regular spiritual experience that's not on Shabbat. And there's someone who has a, you know, a young family who are trying to navigate all of those obligations uh, to their family to also find and make space for this. And I don't mean just in the morning. I mean, in the evening also that I I think that there is a place for it to be a powerful experience and that broadens the uh, constituency of who normally makes up quote unquote, uh, you know, a minion. You know, I think maybe the argument that I would make just sort of listening to you speak so I would make an argument for the value of community, which you sort of alluded to there, you know, for people who don't have a family or even people who have families and want other forms of connection. You know, I do think that connection and community and relationships are maybe the most important thing in life. And I think that synagogue life and that a model of having a daily minion or a weekly minion can be one way of creating community and of fostering that. I guess what I would like to see then in communities is really an emphasis on the communal aspect of it and, and really giving people space to schmooze and talk, whether it's, whether it's kiddish and, you know, afterwards, or I actually really love what ECAR in Los Angeles does to give a shout out to our brothers and sisters there. But I love the idea of having like a coffee bar outside the synagogue for people who, who want to come for communal aspects and want to have a way of working Shabbat, but maybe aren't so into all of the prayers to give people space to come and connect and communicate with other people. That feels really vital to me. I would just say on, that's a great point, and I think you get pushback from a lot of formal institutions um, when you pose that, that that shouldn't be a reason not to do it. Um, and, and the other framing comment I wanted to make was that it's easy for most of the people we're talking about, these regular kind of progressive Jews, to say that their religious expression comes from social justice issues, that they are fueled by that, and they feel like that's their highest form of religious obligation, which I think is a great value, and I think part of that is because it makes us feel good when we're doing good things, and um, on a personal level, and then kind of outwardly, we actually feel like we're impacting something. And and I wonder if we can frame prayer as as another high form of obligation that you have an obligation because it does something spiritually in the cosmos, or it it you know it makes your soul feel happy when you're able to pray. And 
and and that's going to fall apart on the institution to present prayer in a way that people feel the same kind of effect in that setting than they do when they're doing something within the social justice realm. So what is that thing, right? If I am a, right, I'm a 28-year-old person. I am, if I wasn't a rabbi and I was working in the community and I decided I was going to go to Minion and I go to Minion, and if I don't have a prayer experience, I'm not sure why I would feel good about it, right? If I am the youngest person by 50 or 60 years or something like that, right? what part of that should make me feel good? I think that what Josh's suggestion would be helpful. I think it's starting small, you know, telling a person, okay, one morning a week in the same way that you have a workout regimen or you have, uh, you know, a set of people you call a couple times a week to, to check in. This is another activity that you can you can keep in your calendar for one day a week. Know you have an obligation to do it, and I don't think you need to tell them exactly what's going to happen or how it's going to make them be the best person in the world. But you can start them by getting their foot in the door and saying, you know, come to this, do this thing, and let's see where it takes us from here. I don't think you need to give them such specifics. Is my point? I guess one one other case that I would make me before having daily minion or some kind of daily prayer practice is that I think that there's also like an intrinsic value for human beings, both communally and indiv- and individually, to have some kind of ongoing ritual to mark our lives. And I know for me that at the times when I've connected most with davening on a daily basis and going to Minion on a daily basis, part of what I find so meaningful about it is that it's a practice, that, like the discipline of it, in the same way that someone might have a, a you know yoga that, that they do every day or certain foods that they eat every day. To me... Having that consistent ritual, I found to be a really powerful way of marking time and of creating creating structure and creating meaning ultimately in my life. I think that's a really uh, a really good point. This is like a very serious topic. <laughs> I mean, they're like, "Come on, let's get some jokes going or, or something." I think I think Adir, that's your cue to bring in the the next the next topic. Second Would segment. Second, second segment, segment, a little lighter. All right, nice, perfect. We're coming in with the second segment, changing up the topic a bit. I was recently on vacation, and I was privileged to stay at a all-inclusive resort, which was awesome. Cancun, Grand Oasis, Tulum, highly recommended. Um, and I was sponsors. I was, I was thinking of uh, breakfast because that was my favorite meal of the day there. Um, because the buffet, which was one of the many restaurants, had really good scrambled eggs. And I was a person for about 22 years of my young life. I didn't. I never ate eggs. I found them to be revolting, and the texture was all off. And now I really love them. And these were some of the best eggs I ever had. But it really can shift. And breakfast is a very divisive issue. So I'm curious. For me, kind of the ideal, I think, is a is a hard scramble, well done, with maybe some mushrooms and onions and cheese, and then you can toss hot sauce, ketchup, whatever condiments on, maybe some avocado. And that's where it's at. And I want to know kind of where you guys are with breakfast these days and where you're not. Like, what are the things that are that are red lines for you when it comes to breakfast? Adir, I always you always struck me as a, a cereal person. When did that shift happen for you? Well, as you said before, both and, you know, I love a good bowl of cereal. I always keep my pantry stocked for those nights when I don't want to do anything. And it really hits the spot. But in general, I like to start my day off a little bit more well-balanced, which I feel like comes with a good protein and eggs fill that void. I'm well known for a uh, for a, a love of breakfast burritos. That's got to be my favorite egg vehicle for sure. 
And can you talk about the egg, like how you do it? Do you, is it a fried egg and then you roll it up? Is it scrambled? I scramble it and I, and if I have other stuff in there, like vegetables or what have you, or beans or whatever, rice, I'll put that into the frying pan when the eggs are mostly cooked already. And then I'll like chop it up really into as small pieces as I can. But it's, it's like a, a scrambled patty, you know, until I chop it up. And how do you maintain the structural integrity of it's such a wet product that you're putting in? That feels like it would give me a lot of anxiety with the tortilla maintaining itself. I think rolling a burrito slowly is absolutely essential as well as a proper form. Uh, Also, recognizing that if you're going to put tomatoes in your breakfast burrito, that's where all a lot of liquid is going to come from. But if you're putting rice and beans and eggs, it's actually pretty. It's not so liquidy and so not so much of an issue. And no cilantro, most importantly. Josh? <laughs> so I'm going to go a different route. I hear you. I'm a fan of eggs. But my go-to breakfast these days has actually been oatmeal, mm. which is an interesting choice. For a long time, I was not into oatmeal. I feel like it was never never filling. Like, I'll eat it at 8 and be hungry again by 9. But very much in the spirit of what we were talking about before in terms of ritual, my dad would always make oatmeal. And since he's died, one of the ways that I've found of staying connected to him has been to have oatmeal every day. And this has sort of led me to having a greater appreciation for oats. You know, they're a great grain, ancient grain, high in fiber, highly recommended. Quaker call us for looking for sponsors. <laughs> what, a, what type of uh, – I'm a big oatmeal fan as well. I'm glad you brought that up. Oatmeal is, is perennially underrated, I would say. What are you doing with your oatmeal? Are you tossing some cinnamon in, some brown sugar, some fruit? That's what I'm talking about. Nice. Oh, cin- cinnamon for sure. Maple syrup, uh, milk. I recently tried putting in some vanilla yogurt along with it, but I've put in peanut butter and jelly for sort of more experimental yeah. combinations. Bananas, like if I have it. Nuts, fruit. You can put anything in it. I'm gonna no. say I tried. I had savory oatmeal. I put an egg, I fried up some eggs and put them in. Don't recommend it. In theory, it works. In reality, not so much. But versatile, versatile grain. Also, no yogurt. I, I don't. I don't stand by that. Putting yogurt in uh, oatmeal. It was maple flavored yogurt. and mixed it in. It, it it gave it a nice consistency. It was a little tangy from the yogurt, but trying it. I feel like I like my oatmeal to be uh, really thick, as opposed to really watery. There's a different texture experience when you eat oatmeal that way, right? I like yeah. to put the hot water in to the oatmeal and then let it sit for a short amount of time. And then, right. Like I don't add a lot of water, just, just enough water for it to be cooked and to be like thick, but I don't, I don't like it watery or, um, I know someone who likes their oatmeal, uh, like liquid overnight, like soaked. Uh, I, I want none of that. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> exactly. do, you, do you guys feel hungry afterwards? I mean, do you feel like it fills you up? Yeah, definitely. I have to eat a lot of oatmeal for really to be feel like I'm um, sated. Good. I'm glad. That's what I'm talking about. It, you know, if you have just what you think would be a normal portion, like it looks reasonable in the bowl, often 45 minutes later, it's, it's, it's grubbing yeah. time again. I find you got to have many components to breakfast. Sorry. I have the opposite experience. I never feel like oatmeal, when I make a normal amount of oatmeal, it never feels like it's going to be enough, and it always fills me up. Maybe your portion... But- understanding is incorrect like you know no i use the the standard portion on the box or the whatever or maybe you don't like oatmeal as much as you think you do (laughs) that's also possible if you uh have any of your own breakfast rituals definitely give us a shout out tweet at us mine at mind underscore locks on the twitter handle we want to hear from our our uh loyal viewers 
what you're what you're what you're having in the morning. Of course, coffee for two of us in this two, in this in this room. We love a nice cup of well brewed coffee. Maybe some Sumtown Hairbender. Josh, what are you drinking these days? I'm a tea man myself. I have black tea in the morning with a little bit of milk. Gets me through the day. Love it, British way. That's right. Uh, for All our right. final portion, why don't we uh, talk about our favorite pieces of media that we've uh, experienced and, and maybe a takeaway. What have you experienced this week that you feel like you would want to suggest for others? Hmm. So I started watching Transparent, and I have to say I was like pretty skeptical about this show, but people kept recommending it to me, and I'm, I'm blown away by it. It's pretty funny. It's really smart, but the thing which amazes me the most, and I would love to talk about this in a future, in a future pod, is how Jewish of a show it is. It feels totally like all the jokes feel like inside jokes. And I'm watching it. I'm like, how could anyone who's not Jewish watch this? And as we were talking about this a little bit before, Nadir's like, oh, it's highly acclaimed. Definitely people watch it of different faiths. But it's amazing to me how many, how many sort of Jewish Easter eggs are in it. And it also sort of does a beautiful job capturing a certain type of Los Angeles Jew. Um, and, and, and also does a great job showcasing a beautiful city, Los Angeles. So I'm highly recommended. A lot of good Torah in there, a lot of good learning, and a lot of a lot of laughs. Makes me miss Los Angeles for sure. Always, it's a hard show to watch when you miss Los Angeles. Uh, but it's also a great show. I mean, all of the scenes of like the ocean and like the the Palisades and the streets and Cantors, Cantors. I mean, it's it's beautiful. I feel like you're there, transported in transparent. Nice. I'll say that I watched this week a movie I had watched before and didn't like at the time, and thought maybe I'd give it a second chance. And I just actually really don't think I like these directors, save for a couple of their movies. And this is, I'm going to be lampooned for this. But I watched A Serious Man again this week, uh, the Coen Brothers film. And it was entertaining for the, uh, again, this is a common thread right now, the explicit Jewish references in it. Um, I mean, the whole movie is kind of about this this Jewish family and its various dynamics in Minnesota and the Twin Cities. Um, I don't, besides The Big Lebowski, which I think is great, and Fargo, um, which I also like. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I haven't seen enough of their movies, but I often find myself at the end kind of wanting a better resolution or more substance. And I know I'm in the minority because they are critically acclaimed. They've won a couple Oscars or have been nominated at least. But uh, that's that's where my media media focus was this week. Coen Brothers, overrated or not, tweet us. Yeah. I thought No Country for Old Men was really good, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That, I did like that one. So maybe it's just this movie I don't like. Maybe I do like the Coen Brothers. <laughs> but, I, but I agree with you that I, I think that movie is overrated. Uh, it's, it didn't do it for me either. Like the insular sort of Jewish jokes are, are funny and interesting. And it's kind of cool to see some parts of Jewish 50s culture on mainstream cinema. But yeah. overall, the movie left me kind of cold. Uh, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to I'm going to have two things this week. Ooh. You're allowed. You're the director. Uh, yeah. First, first, I um, I've been reading the life-changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kendo, and it is really quite good. I haven't finished it yet. I'm about halfway through, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it. There's a like a sense she talks about in the book about like the energy clothing or objects have, and I was folding laundry today, and I I was really uh. I really felt what she was talking about, you know, memories being implanted in, in particular objects. You know, I have T-shirts from college. And, you know, as I was holding them, folding them, uh, I, I like was transported back to those moments. And 
I uh, so definitely a, a good read so far. I would encourage it to others. And the the other one is, and uh, hopefully we'll talk about this on the pod in the future. Also, is Imaginary Worlds podcast uh, hosted by Eric Malinsky. It is consistently fascinating, and it is about fantasy and science fiction and why we tell those stories and why we listen and read to those read those stories he did a number of segments on harry potter and on star wars that are uh great and i think both uh really timely so i would Mm. encourage people to to listen to that it's imaginary worlds um really wonderful and and the rumor is in the podcast world he might be making uh some sort of appearance on mindlocks actually so stay tuned to Twitter and uh, other social media apparati to hear about news of future guests of which we might have many. Yeah, I think, I think, I think so. We're, we're hoping to bring some guests on Mindlock. So if you have any suggestions or you want to uh, come on, tweet at us. I want to thank everyone for listening this week and listening to our previous episodes. You can search your favorite podcast app, uh, Mindlocks, M-I-N-D-L-O-X. Yeah, Locks, as Adir put it, nourishes the body while Torah nourishes the mind. That's our our tagline. So join us next week. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So Yeah, just do it regular. It was fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, so start over. Is that a skeleton? Oh, dude, you like my Nishmanko high poster?